Hi, I'm Yaakov Katz, and welcome to another episode of the Jewish People Policy Institute's Inside Analysis of the State of Affairs of Israel and in the Jewish world. Obviously, there's a lot going on here in Israel now as the war continues and the prospects again of a possible deal for the release of hostages from Hamas captivity in the Gaza Strip. And what will that deal look like? If at all, there will even be a deal. But as we talk about this and think about what might happen, one of the big issues that's on the table are pretty much two, I would say. One is the one that we're going to dive into on today's episode, which is looking at the mental health of Israeli soldiers and what happens to them. A lot of people suffering from trauma, whether it was from the October 7th attacks or from the operations and the loss of colleagues and teammates and comrades on the battlefields inside Gaza in the months since. So we're talking today with a friend of mine, Yaakov Smith, who runs not only a battalion and is the commander of a special forces battalion inside Gaza, which is, he's as he tells us, he's only been home 12 days since October 7th. But he is also in his day job when he's not in uniform. He it runs an organization called Shomer Achi, My Brother's Guardian, which is all about how to get mental health support for IDF veterans. So we talked to him about that. And then we have a great panel with JPPI fellows, Professor Michal Bar-Asher Siegel and Noah Slepkov. And we're talking about the mood in Israel and what's happening on the streets as this prospect of a deal comes and what will happen potentially the day after when there will be a potential ceasefire, what is going to happen in Israeli society. So here we go. First, our interview with Yaakov Smith. Yaakov Smith, it's great to have you on the JPPI podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Great to talk to you again, Yaakov. So you are the head and founder, I should say, of an organization called Shomer Achi, Guardian Brother or Brother Guardian. Tell Guardian. us a bit about tell us a bit about what this what this organization does for the mental health of soldiers and why you thought it was so important to establish this organization. So Guardian Brother was established about three years ago. Um with the objective of providing uh, mental health support for veterans of the IDF. Um, But in a unique way, we do it uh, in a way that allows people who still feel uncomfortable um, approaching and asking for mental health support uh, because of the taboo that may still exist around the the idea of getting help and, and stuff like that in Israel. So we provide anonymous uh, and immediate help for veterans who ask for help. The the, the seed that uh, was planted for the idea of Guardian Brother was um, was my my personal experience, also as a commander, and also um, the last war uh, took a ton. Protective uh, Edge in two thousand and fourteen. Protective Edge, yeah, in two thousand and fourteen, where I encountered. Um, Many, many of my soldiers in reserve duty uh, calling me up years afterwards, asking, um, first of all, for guidance, and second of all, to sign a lot of uh, affidavits. uh, Affidavits. Yeah. Yeah. For the Ministry of Defense, uh, confirming they um, that they've been in in, in action and that they need uh, that they need help. I found it a bit weird that. 
that, uh, that, that this is the process that, thing that they need to go through. And, I, I, and on a personal level, I, I thought it was wrong because mental health is not a, first of all, it should not be a taboo. And especially for veterans, it should be uh, as, as, as obvious as drinking a, a glass of water. It's just part of, of, of what needs to be done uh, in order, first of all, to function in the army and, of course, function as a civilian afterwards. So that was the the, the seed of of the that, that was planted in 2014, and I decided that part of my responsibility as a commander was to uh, allow uh, the men and women, and uh, you'd be surprised how many, uh, how broad the spectrum is of of people approaching and asking for the help, mm-hmm. uh, just to allow them to get the help they need without needing to go through any. Um, committees or any scrutiny of bureaucracy or stuff like that. And you had even told me in, a, in another conversation how personally you were dealing with issues of your of your own, and you you were feeling you know coming from really a, an amazing combat service frontline commander infantry unit, seeing things yourself, not realizing what it was, and not feeling comfortable even asking for help personally. That was also part of the journey, right? Absolutely. I, I, my, my, um, in my uh, military life today, I command a, a battalion. I'm a battalion commander. And I've been, <laughs> you caught me now on, on my, I think maybe the 12th day that I was out since the 7th of October. I've been wow. fighting in Gaza since the 7th of October. Um, and uh, I, I forgot what what civilian clothes look like, or even how to communicate uh, to civilians. To our, to our viewers and listeners, I just have to say that when Yako first got on the call, he was wearing his uniform, and I said to him, "Did you forget what a regular shirt looks like?" And he was oblivious to it. It was like, so he went and changed. So if you're not seeing him, he's now wearing a nice crisp blue shirt. Yes. Yeah. So I, I I must say that that going through this last or still going through this this war because I'm I'm just on a, 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 a short vacation. Um, I I really appreciate that my uh, realization early on many years ago of the importance. It's not just a, a matter of nice to have. It's it's important that veterans who need help. Right. Um, call out and get the help. It it just it just makes besides the personal life way better, you know. It just it, it makes them better uh, uh, soldiers, and and I, I see it now on the battlefield. I see matureness. I see um, people who are, are are working in the most uh, difficult environment and experiences that I, I don't think there are enough words or. A, a, a video time to express what is going on down south. Still, right. Uh, I think it's important for 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 these soldiers to come to approach these difficult situations so, so, on a more mature level. So basically, the idea, just sort of the organization of Shomerachi, is that you you essentially connect a soldier who reaches out, a veteran who reaches out anonymously, doesn't have to give any details, doesn't have to embarrass herself or himself reaches out to your organization, you immediately do a shidduch almost. You match that person with a, th- with a trained, licensed therapist who then meets with that person and they get X number of sessions that are free of charge for that veteran. Right. So we, we are, are targeting a very specific audience. 
um, many uh, men and women who feel uncomfortable coming forward and asking for the help because they don't want to be registered anywhere that they asked for help. They don't want to go through any committees trying to explain the situations beside needing to talk to a therapist. So we pair them with the therapist that does the first evaluation. They don't even need to mention their name. It's just like sending to a WhatsApp, a dot, an emoji or something like that. And we immediately pair them with the, our main therapist. He's been in the business for the last 35 years. Um, and all of our therapists are ex-combat uh, soldiers, wow. veterans. They, they all come and they understand the experience um, of, of, the, uh, of the battlefield. So in, in, then, in the last three years, how many people has Shomerachi connected and helped? So we've been operating for the last year and a half. Year and a half, okay. Well, we, we've helped around 40 men and women, but um, a lot of them, uh, this is the, the, the key point is that the first evaluation does not mean that we always onboard them to Shomerachi uh, because sometimes the situations are too complicated. So we pair them with a, another uh, nonprofit that deals in the, in the area or the Ministry of Defense or they do it privately. The idea is just to get them on board and comfortable with the realization that there's no shame whatsoever in asking for, for help in the mental health uh, area. And, and on the contrary, this is something that would allow them uh, being better soldiers in, in reserve duty and better parents, better fathers, better mothers, uh, better employees. It benefits everyone. When, when you understand, when one understands that at the end of the day, uh, uh, our personal uh, state of mind, our mental health is, is super important for everyone, not just uh, uh, family and friends, then uh, it just allows them to feel more comfortable coming forward. We do, we do not finish. After we give the 12 sessions, we don't finish our, our work with them. We, um, we, we we refer them on to other nonprofits or other organizations that, that help in the mental health uh, uh, area. But now they're coming, at from, coming to there in, in a more comfortable approach to it. Right. So that's the main objective. So I can only imagine, I mean, you know, you just, you told us how you're, you're basically on one of your 12 days at home uh, and what, you have one kid, two kids? One, one little girl. I left her when, I left home when she was uh, half year, uh, half years old uh -huh. and uh, she's walking actually, she's talking, uh, wow. semi-talking and she's got teeth. So she's okay. Uh, <laughs> Time uh, flies. Uh, I so, a day or two until she recognizes me again. But you're now home and... You know, we appreciate the time that you're taking to speak to us, but I can only imagine, and you said there's not enough words or video to describe the intensity and the complexity of everything that's going on down there. But there, there's trauma. I mean, there's severe trauma from the people who experienced October 7th and the soldiers who experienced October 7th to the soldiers in Gaza who are losing friends and comrades and, and, and people they know, teammates in their units. I mean, I can only imagine that coming out of this war, we're going to have a, a generation of soldiers who are going to need some significant help, whatever that help looks like, but some serious help along the way. I mean, is that, is there talk of that? Do you know, I'm guessing you're talking to people. Is, is, is that something that's, do, are, is there awareness of this need? Absolutely. The army has done a, a, a leap. They leaped into this uh, a new, a new era that they understand that they needs to, they need, needs to be, um, uh, some sort of address to the, the issue. Uh, a lot of the times, look, uh, I'm going to, 
in a short, in, in very short, I'm going to explain. Trauma exists in war. War is trauma. That you can't, you can't not have trauma in war. The problem is that when one experiences trauma and experiences it in uh, feeling uh, uh, also helpless and also not competent, he can't, he can't uh, react in any way to the trauma. That that uh, leaves a, a mark in, in in one's in one's soul, and then usually you see it years afterwards. Or years afterwards, this experience uh, uh, um, um, uh, comes out in this in some in some, in some form. But the army, what they're doing now, every veteran that finishes the reserve duty, they have two days of sitting with psychologists, talking about the experience and going through it. This is a, it's a good it's a good process. It's going to help a lot uh, in the future. Doesn't mean there's not going to be an inflation in need afterwards for mental health, but it means that people would understand that it's, it's, it's it might come and there is hope to deal with it. I think that the main the main um, the main thing we're going to see in a few years' time regarding mental health uh, with the veterans is um, the sense is that. They didn't experience this alone. They had 350,000 reserve duty soldiers with them, experiencing it together. So they, 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 they would have a common language. They would have uh, an understanding that it's okay and, and, and people go through this and, and there is hope afterwards. What is going to be needed is the support of the people at home to understand first of all the complexity you know i'm talking to you now uh, as if nothing has happened i've i've come back home from nakhal oz a few hours ago i was in on the base where they burnt alive 17 girls they they raped they slaughtered they beheaded and everything still exists over there is the smell is still over there everything exists over there and i cannot communicate to you or to the audience what does it mean for me to come home and just, you know, cook some food for my daughter and my wife? The 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 is unbelievable. So we're gonna need the understanding. We're gonna need um, yeah. the empathy. We're yeah. gonna need support, also the the physical support in in allowing everyone to have they 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 space to to come forward and 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 get the help they need. Yaakov, I want to thank you so much for being with us. I want to thank you for your your honesty and and being real about what what it is. And uh, I I know you also in your uniform. And I and I you know we we didn't get into what you do. And I know you probably wouldn't want to talk about that, so I left that aside. But just so our listeners know, this guy right here is really one of uh, one one of Israel's heroes right now when it comes to the war and uh, of giving of of really what it means to self-sacrifice on behalf of the Jewish people. And you heard his accent. That that comes from South Africa. That's right. That's where he's originally yeah. from. So yeah. really, uh, Yaakov, I want to thank you so much for being with us and stay thank safe. You. Thank you, and thanks Yaakov, for everything. You've been an advocate for years now. You've been a, a good yeah. advocate for this cause. And I, I appreciate it. And I'm sure all the veterans do appreciate it as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so that was a great interview with uh, with Yaakov Smith, learning and hearing about the mental health situation of Israeli soldiers and what's going to happen the day after, when likely there's going to be a lot more who are going to need some mental health support. But Michal, I want to start with you 
And to talk more about the mood within Israel, you know, obviously in the beginning after October 7th, my feeling always was that there was a great sense of fear because of what had happened, humiliation to a large extent, anger, the blood was boiling. I think to some extent the blood still is boiling. But right now we're also very much concerned with the hostages, but also what's going to happen next, right? I mean, how would you kind of, where would you put or describe what the mood right now is in, in Israel? First of all, when I answer that question, I have to be very honest about uh, the sense we're always, you know, within bubbles. My, my my surrounding, the people, you know, I live with, the people I talk to come from a very certain milieu. And I'm an academic. I live in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, I we so when I'm projecting, uh, um, I need to, you know, bring a caveat to, to this is where I'm coming from. But the truth is that some of the stuff I'm saying, I think, is actually larger than what I'm seeing in, in my immediate surrounding. I think what's new about the mood now, uh, and I I don't remember ever feeling this way, is a deep sense of loss, of um, the loss of hope, the loss of uh, of um, something very very deeply um, secure has been lost, and it's it's manifested on multiple levels. First, obviously, the security of our you know, in your own home, in your own bed, in your, for your own family, for your own kids, raising the kids in Israel. There's always been a price to pay. We've always bled, but not to that extent. And I think we haven't, we, I've never felt fear like I felt, you know, in October. The, the real fear for, 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 for my life and for my family. And I think that was a very traumatizing, you know, event to go through. But I think it's 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 much more than that. I think the loss of uh, of, of hope on a much you know I don't know if it's a loss of hope or or a, a deep sense of of, of uh, fear that we're losing hope. I would put it that right this way. Um, we are uh, leaderless. Our leadership is failing us on all levels and then on a magnitude that no one, you know, thought possible. It's like, you know, you go and you lift the hood of the car and you find out that there's no engine. We're a country that's full of amazing people with so many talents and so many, so such good energy and really entrepreneurship and, and, and smart people and good people. But then you raise the hood of the car and it's running with no engine. There's, there's no country it's been four months and there's still holes where the government hasn't shown up and, and is not showing any leadership and and it's scary to what level uh um, this country is run without a leadership and it cannot hold and that's i don't know even more scary than than scarier than than, than being afraid for my life because this is being scared for the legacy of zionism and the legacy of you know where where we're at and lastly i think uh, and this has a lot to do with the past year and a half before October events. Uh, the sense that the country is changing its face. There is uh, a lot of things that's happening from my side. The, the fact that the country is uh, going uh, towards a more racist future, towards a more theocratic future, towards a more male chauvinistic uh, future. And that scares me, too. And there is a sense of uh, I'm, I'm not sure that we can fix where we're going. I'm not sure that where we're going is where I want to go. So all of this put together, in addition to the fact that people die, 
daily basis. People are hurt on a daily basis or they stay to run their house. My answer to your question is the movement is very, very grim and awful. But I think mostly, I don't know what to look ahead to. I don't know. I don't know how we even begin to fix that. So, so let, let, let me, let, let me, uh, let me jump in here. I actually shared a similar sentiment to what you just said. I was, I, I met, happened to meet somebody who is a, uh, actually a longtime listener of our, of our podcast now, Devorah Korn. And she's a, uh, I think a clinical psychologist and together with her husband, Dr. Ben Korn, who's a known radial, radi, radio oncologist or radiologist oncologist, whatever the term is, uh, in Jerusalem, they do a lot of uh, care for cancer patients alongside the medical, more on the uh, psychological. And we're talking about hope, because I also said, I'm looking for the optimism. And she started giving me this whole lecture, which I'm not going to get into right now, because I won't repeat it correctly, but this is apparently this guy, Charles Snyder, who has all this whole hope theory, which is interesting, and how hope can actually be a muscle that you can develop, that you can try to create again i'm i'm not doing justice to this idea for people who want to learn more about this there's something there but but i totally agree with you that there is a there's a, a great also a great feeling of trep- trepidation and uncertainty of what's going to come next and and noah i mean you know you, you obviously do a lot of polling with the madad and together with shmuel rosner the uh, another uh, senior fellow at the at the institute but even if we, you know, putting aside the stats, the statistics for a moment, just again, thinking about more on the political side of where things are headed, right? I, I think the moment when I think about how the moment there's either a hostage release, a ceasefire, prisoner swap, whatever you want to call what might be coming, that is the moment that will trigger the breakout of massive protests and the anger that a lot of people have been keeping inside to some extent with our leadership. And, you know, Michal spoke about how. We don't feel like she doesn't feel like there's good, effective leadership at the moment. That that adds to this very great, I think, big sense of uncertainty. No, look, where we're at right now, the country has very low faith in the prime minister, and the country has very low faith in the emergency government. Um, when you you opened by asking about uh, what will come after a ceasefire, and I was taken aback because. You know, you're talking about a ceasefire, and um, if you if you listen to the prime minister speak last night um, in response to the the uh, Hamas's response to the negotiations, he he basically laid out uh, that this is going to take months, uh, not years. He said it's going to take a few more months for 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 the defeat of Hamas. I don't think people in Israel are thinking about. Oh, what what's going to happen during a ceasefire um, at at this point? But politically, um, you know, I think the country is still um, in in like the aftershocks of of October seventh politically, because um, you know, as a result of people who people associated with the protest movements. Um, like, oh, this person's the in merits, but now he's a commando in Gaza. So how do I how do I reconcile that? How do someone who was right wing and and was so angry at all these people who are not serving in the reserve duty, and now they see that these are the people who are fighting on the front lines? The whole political outlook kind of shifts, and and there's a lot of movement in Israel in terms of like 
left and right is 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 not the same as it used to be. And so there's this big aftershock politically that the dust hasn't settled. Um, with regards to the release of the hostages, yeah, I, I mean, I- Israel is really grieving over over what to do. And um, it doesn't seem like it will be that we're able to reconcile the need to defeat Hamas um, and the need to come to some type of immediate um, hostage um, agreements with, with Hamas. Life was much simpler, Michal, when we were talking about bats, monks, and uh, the Talmud. No, it's, it's a sorry inside joke reference to to, to one of Michal's uh, uh, recent works. I think it was over the summer. I read a story about that in in uh, JTA, the Jewish Telegraph Agency, or, or one of those other places. But uh, so I wish I could ask you questions about like you know early Jewish Christian relations back in the time of the Talmud. But but now you know w- w- one of the one of the things that I'm mostly concerned about, I think, is that everybody likes to talk today about where we were October 6th and where we are, and then what happened October 7th. And we shouldn't go back to the October 6th Israel, right? The October 6th Israel being the Israel where we were at each other's throats and and ripping them apart because of the judicial reform and just the political hostility that was in this country. To me, that that that's the greatest danger when I think about it. Like Hamas will deal with it'll take months, weeks, days, whatever. Hezbollah will deal with however long that takes, and it won't, won't be good, but we'll deal with it. But this is something that we're going to rip ourselves out on our own. And I wonder if you think that there's any any way to avoid that potentially. No, uh, and the reason I don't think we can avoid it, I'm sorry, I'm being very blunt, but I actually want to end on an optimistic note. So wait for it. Um, I think our leadership is leading us the, this way on purpose. I think there is a, an, an attempt to steer away from the physical danger by turning our heads and, you know, it's like a magic show where you, you pull tricks and, 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 and chaos and anger is a good mechanism to not think about the daily problems we're having uh, in, in our safety issue and, and army and Hamas and Tukbala. So we're we're fighting among ourselves, and that's easier for our leadership to lead us this way. And it's awful, and it's cynical, and we deserve so much better. I'll tell you why I'm a little bit optimistic on that note, though. Uh, because I saw, I keep thinking before October, what made people at some point get out of bed and every Saturday night for I don't know how many months and how many weeks go and protest in the street? For what? For equality, to defend the, you know, the, um, uh, to defend the Supreme Court, to ask for, uh, um, for a constitution. Um, everyone in Israel became expert in, in certain laws. You would never think, you know, that this would, would happen. And what made people get up and, and do that? What made people say enough is enough? And I think this is where my optimism comes in. I found my 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 group, I, my peers. I found people who care about Israel. They're not they're not the majority according to the recent election. Maybe Noah now can tell me uh, what the recent polls will tell me if we are the, the 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 majority now. But at least it's it's a huge chunk of Israeli society that we found a common language from different groups. And the common language was equality, fairness, institution 
above, you know, individual corruption, something that's, I don't know how to translate mamlakhti in English. I don't know if there is an equivalent to that. It's one of those words that doesn't really translate, but putting the state first before yourself to an extent, right? Institution that keeps us safe and keeps us sane and keeps us in root, something like that. And people who care about that, who care about the, a, a fair division of labor, who care about socialism, caring about the, 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 the weak, promoting women, all of these, these are things that we could agree on in my camp and actually fight for. And this, this, is, this is nice. This is nice to see, but we have that. In other words, more, more, more involvement, engagement within the issues that matter, right? That, 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 that yeah. And and you're asking me, and we were talking in in our Mahon, in our institute a lot in every in our weekly meeting, what Zionism needs, and we keep like alternating between the, the physical place in, in Israel or the product in the people, and what does that mean, and the new Zionism, and the old Zionism, and for me. This is where I find my peers. I chose to live in Israel and I made that choice a few times to go back and to come back and to sit and, and live here. And this is why, because I have that group of people who care and want to make Israel and we deserve so much better. We really are awesome in essence. It's, it's, it's a wondrous country that has amazing product and, and, and the situation is awful. It's really, really awful in so many aspects. But there's the people, when I look right and left, I like who's standing next to me. And I don't know, maybe we'll all perish together. But at least, you know, the people I want to do this with. You were trying to be optimistic and then you got us all perishing together. I mean, come on. Uh, Noah, what do you want to say? I I think, um, well, Hamas, um, I think the attack of October 7th was like, you know, Hamas thought would be the last straw of Israel that, you know, Israel was divided and weak, and uh, that's one of the reasons why they felt like it was a good time to attack us. Um, But I think ultimately it brought Israel closer together. I mean, a year ago, no one would have thought that you could have uh, a unity government. Um, That is possible. And now, like, even everything that has been going on the total failure of, as Michal put it, this government. Just uh, a few days ago, Lapid said, I told Netanyahu that whatever it takes, I will either support his coalition from the inside, I will support his coalition from the outside, if it means um, having a hostage uh, agreement with the hostages. And ultimately, um, the fact that you have Lapid who, you know, campaigned against Netanyahu and was adamant, no way that he was going to send the government Netanyahu, still says to him, listen, at the end of the day, the country comes first. We are going to be at your side if you need us, because we're putting the country first. And Gantz, also, the fact that Gantz and Eisenkot are in the coalition and saying, we have real problems with, with Netanyahu, we have real problems with Ben Gvir, we have real problems with Smotrich, but this is for the good of the country. And in, in actual fact, the, the recent decision of the Supreme Court in Israel to um, nullify the, the, the law trying to uh, remove the power, the reasonableness law. Uh, according to JPI polling, um, even people, a good group of people who didn't, who, who were against, who, who supported the reform, 
that wanted to limit the Supreme Court's power, except the Supreme Court's decision that that to, to nullify the reasonableness law. Um, so you you do have a coming together of the country, and it's basically we have a common enemy. And you know this was the the the, the miscalculation of of Comas, that they thought that they probably going to weaken Israel, and at the end of the day, Israel has more resolve than ever. And I'm actually more hopeful. I, I saw great opportunity in October 7th to come to an actual resolution of the of the conflict. You've spoken lots of times on this call, on this podcast about the two state solution that Biden is pushing, and I think one of the problems with with the leadership in Israel now is they're not giving the people, and even the people in Gaza, an alternative to say. This is what the future could look like. This is and and a descriptive what what is it what is the two state solution? What does the two state solution have to look like for Israel to agree with? Or some type of vision for the future. Again, you asked about the uh, during after a ceasefire. Like at the end of the day, we defeat Hamas. Then what? What's the path forward? And the leadership in Israel needs to articulate a clear vision of how Israel and our neighbors can coexist and not kill each other. And you know what's what I find so frustrating. And I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish my thought with this: that at the end of the day, all the negotiations we're doing with Hamas, none of it is to actually end the conflict. Their position is still well. We we have the right to destroy Israel. We're not going to give up our decision to. To destroy Israel. Ultimately, our goal is to destroy Israel. But in the meantime, we're happy to have a ceasefire while we can gain military strength. And until the government offers a clear alternative that doesn't involve Hamas, that has an end of conflict, end of claim solution, we're going to be in this 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 continue this um, this ongoing wars every few years. And even if we have a ceasefire. There'll be another crisis in one year or two years and five years of the same type of magnitude if we don't get to the the core of the conflict. Thank you for joining us today. You can find all our episodes where you get your podcasts. Please share widely and give us a five-star review. We will see you back here soon.